This morning as we continue in our series of messages, the aftermath of the resurrection, we are going to talk about a follower of Christ that I believe, he's one of my favorite one of my favorite characters, probably one of your favorite characters too. Uh, he, he might be everybody's favorite character, and his name is Peter. And we're going to talk a little bit about him this morning. Who was he? Who was, who was Simon Peter? Well, Simon was one of the very first disciples to follow Jesus. In, in fact, um, you know, it's interesting, when Jesus called uh, when, when Jesus called his disciples, you, you see these guys kind of leaving their present occupations and following Jesus almost immediately. And what is really interesting to me, Simon was one of those guys. So I would just ask this question. You know, have you ever met anybody who is the always the first in line guy? No matter what you do, he's always the first guy that's doing something. He's that early adopter. He's that guy. Simon, Simon was pretty much that guy. He was always the first to speak up. He was the first guy to do something. He was just always first. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of his personality. Uh, you know what's also significant is that Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. Now, what is so fascinating about that is that Andrew, who is Simon's brother, is the one who introduced him to Jesus. Now, think about that for a moment. Andrew introduces his brother, Simon, and says, hey, Jesus, this is my brother, Simon. And Jesus says, from this point forward, I'm going to call you Cephas, or the rock. Now, Andrew, if anybody knew Simon, Andrew knew Simon. And when you think about a rock, what do you think of? You think of something strong, something firm, something steadfast, something unchanging. And now I just wonder if Andrew is snickering under his breath and saying, oh my goodness, you don't know this guy. I know this guy. You don't know this guy. You're calling him a rock? Oh, he's anything but a rock. I know him. And I know him really well. You know what is fascinating to me in that? Is that while that is true, there's nobody that knows Simon more or better than Jesus does. And what does that say for you and me? Jesus knows your true potential and he calls you accordingly. You see, people look at us, even those that we are the closest to, and they go, oh, this guy, this gal. They could never do any, no way, that is not even possible. But when Jesus speaks into our lives, he knows exactly who we are. He knows our potential. He knows who you are more and better than anyone. And I am so grateful for that. Because it's not about what someone else might think or believe about me. It is what Jesus knows about me, and he calls me accordingly. That is good. That is good. Also, Simon was the only one of the 12 who walked on the water. You say, why is that significant? Because of this phrase. Steps of faith, steps of faith can lead to miraculous moments. And, you know, you look at, you look at him. Yeah, he's always the first in line guy. Remember this. 
in that boat. Jesus is walking on the water, and Simon is the one. Say, Jesus, if that's really you, say, come on out here. Now, I don't know if he actually thought Jesus would ask. I don't know if he was just being a little bit on the bragging side or the prideful side. I don't know. But Jesus said, okay, come on, buddy. And what did he do? He got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he experienced something that the 11 did not. He's the only one that did it. Miraculous moments happen when we take steps of faith. So not only to the men in the room, but to everyone in the room today, do not hesitate to take steps of faith because there are miracles waiting on the other side. When you get your leg out of the boat, you begin to walk. God is going to do something great within your life. He also made a profound confession of Jesus. In fact, we read about it in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 16 that he asked, Jesus asked, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus reiterates that that name change and he declares that this confession, what, what What Simon said that day is upon which, that's the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. It would be built upon that fact that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and that this church will be built and nothing will prevent it from being built. What a statement of faith. What a statement of confidence. Also, he was known for unfiltered comments. I'm telling you. I wish, I really wish I had a few dollars for every unfiltered comment I've ever made. I wonder if there's anybody in the house that might agree with me today. Thank you, the five of you. You are blessed beyond words for coming alongside this poor guy who, well, has unfiltered comments. You know, John John MacArthur calls Peter the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. I'm telling you, that is the truth. Because here he makes this confession, this declaration. Jesus, you're the Messiah. Right after that, Jesus goes on and says, now I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And Peter says, oh, no, you're not. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. He calls him the devil because of an unfiltered comment. Well, that's just one of them. In Matthew 17, when Jesus is transfigured, Peter jumps right into the conversation. In fact, you read it in Matthew 17, it says, before before something, he's, he's saying something, and before he can get it done, God speaks and says, like, this is my son, I'm pleased with him. Listen, he was just jumping out ahead of an unfiltered comment. He didn't know what to say, so he just, it better to be quiet than say something, wouldn't you think? John 13, he's, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and he comes to Peter, or, or to Simon, and he starts to wash his feet. And oh, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus said, okay, wait a minute. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. Oh, oh, well, wash all of me. Wash all of me. i got to have this. Matthew 26, he says in a very bragging way, When everybody else runs away, I won't. Okay, he just betrayed Jesus three times, or or denied him three times. You know, it's interesting. You look at his life and you say, goodness, this is crazy. One more thing. He He was overwhelmed with sorrow when he denied Jesus. He was overwhelmed with sorrow. In fact, Luke 22 reads, at that moment, 
the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You see a glimpse of a guy that, you know, he's just up one minute, he's down the next, he's saying the great thing, he's saying something crazy, he's out in front of the crowd. You just never know what you're going to get with him. Does that sound at all familiar to the way we live our lives? I think it does. But what is it? But something happens over the course of these next days. Jesus is resurrected, he comes back to life, and Peter has the opportunity, Simon Peter has the opportunity of seeing Jesus alive. He's at the tomb. Jesus shows up on a couple occasions, and now it's a little bit after the fact. We find this account we read in John chapter 21. And you know, if we didn't know the rest of the story, we would think, my goodness, this guy had so many opportunities, and he just kind of squandered them all. But we know the rest of the story. But look at this with me, John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me, follow me. In the aftermath of the resurrection, okay, you've seen Peter, you've seen Simon up and down. You've seen him do great things and then you've seen him fail. You've seen him make great boasts and then deny Jesus, that he even knew him. And now we see him at the lake. And you see, this all started with a fishing trip. There's nothing wrong with fishing. These guys were, this was common to them. This was their profession. He, uh, Simon, along with six other disciples, go out to the lake to fish. And, but this, understand this, this is not what Jesus called them to do. Jesus had called them to be fishers of men. And here they're going back to their old ways. And now there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I understand that it was comfortable to them. But now Jesus is on the shore, and the, and the boys are out fishing. They haven't caught anything. Jesus said, throw your net on the other side. So they did. They, they haul in this fish, and Simon recognizes Jesus. He jumps in the water, swims to shore, helps the guys get the, the fish back in and, or back to the, to the shore. And there's a ton of fish. There's 153 fish. John record the, recorded the number of fish. Jesus already has some fish prepared and who are cooking over. They're barbecuing some fish. And then Jesus pulls him aside, and you notice that he asks him three times if he loves me, if you love him. What, what's he doing? He's restoring him. But he ends this conversation with these two words, follow me. He reinstates a call that he gave to Simon some time ago. But what is interesting, do you notice that Jesus does not call him by his name that he gave him Peter? He doesn't call him by the rock. He calls him by Simon. He goes back to this pre, this pre-knowing Jesus moment, as it were, and now he restores him. And it's, it, it, I love the fact of the, and this truth 
Failure is never final with God. I wonder, you notice when, 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 he, when he walks away after denying Jesus three times, what, is it, what does the text say? He says he wept bitterly. I would imagine at that moment he did not re- remember that Jesus had promised he would come back to life. Did he think that everything was over? There was no hope for him. That the only hope he had, yes, Jesus had called him to be a fisherman, but now that's not going to happen. Jesus is gone. Well, he's back, but I failed so miserably. What else can I do but go back and just fish for fish? And Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Follow me. And he accepts that challenge. And in the aftermath of the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which we talked about last week, this was a changed man. He became the leader of the disciples. He became one of the great preachers of the New Testament. It is an amazing transformation of what God did in his life. Understand, your failure, your shortcomings, those things that you just feel so overwhelmed and hurt by, I want you to know that is not how Jesus defines you. You are his child. You are his follower. And he calls you to something greater than you have ever experienced before. And he will always be there and available to us. I'm grateful for that. You may have failed in some form or fashion, but God is available to forgive And to restore, Psalm 145, 14 says, The Lord lifts up people who have fallen. He helps those who are in trouble. 1 Peter 5, 10, and I chose this specifically from Peter's writings. He said, And the God of all grace (laughs) who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That is not coincidental, I believe, in the language that he uses. He understood what restoration was all about because he had been a principal recipient of the restoration of his Savior. It's powerful. You see, Simon's natural bent to be out in front of people, to be the first in the line. Jesus knew that when he called him the rock to begin with. I know what you can do. I know your potential. I know what you can become. Became the spokesman for the disciples, a leader of the church, and he is bold and he's unwavering. He leads the church in early days, and then he writes two very significant letters to the church, First and Second Peter both written to suffering Christians. He understood it. He was martyred for his faith by being crucified. Somewhere around 64 to 68 AD, not knowing exactly during the reign of of the Emperor Nero. And tradition tells us that he would not be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was crucified. He asked to be crucified upside down. Now that's tradition, but it's, it's a commonly held tradition in the church. Regardless, you see what Jesus said in John 21, someone will stretch out your arms predicting the way that he would follow Christ in death. As I reflect on all of these moments in his life, there's some applications or observations I want to leave with you. Four of them. The first is this. Jesus knows who you really are. Jesus knows who you really are. You know, I don't know. Well, let me say it this way. A lot of folks are trying to find their identity today. Identity is in the news. 
identity is everywhere. I want you to know something. Jesus knows exactly who you are. He knows how you're wired. He knows how you were knit together in the womb of your mother. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Some are less, some are more. Depending upon, well, I just stop right there before I get into trouble. He knows exactly who we are. I'm really happy that God knows me for who I am. He knows the very heart of who I am. It's, it comes out so clearly in the life of Simon Peter. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, But God stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. Hallelujah. Second observation. Jesus calls you out when necessary. Now you say, wait a minute. I don't know that I like that too much. I can tell you, having played a variety of athletic endeavors over the course of my younger years, I, I never liked having a coach call me out on things and get right in my face and bark at me about something that I didn't do that I should have done. But what I learned from that was don't do it again. Learn from what you've done. And what I love about Jesus is that he called Simon out when he needed to call him out. Now, how does that apply to us? It applies to us because as followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us and he convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And there's nothing more positive when the Holy Spirit calls us out. I want to be brought back into that right relationship with God. He'll do that. The third observation is that Jesus forgives, forgives you even after catastrophic failure. You, you see, remember, failure is not final with God. We look at it as being final. We look at it as, well, I can't, I'm done. I'm done. Not, not with God. I have a dear, I have a friend. I have a friend who catastrophically failed. And I can... I'm going to tell you, there's no other way to say it. Catastrophically failed. But yet, even though he catastrophically failed, he gave Jesus a chance to bring forgiveness and to restore him. And I'm excited to be able to tell you, not only was he forgiven, but he has been completely restored. Only God can do that. But you see, you gotta give, you gotta give Jesus a chance. Let me here's here's one you'll recognize. From the same, from the same story, as it were, there was another man who betrayed Jesus. His name was Judas. Do you think Jesus would have forgiven him and restored him? I do. In a heartbeat. Why? Because that is the nature of the Savior that we serve. But you've got to give Jesus a chance. He's there. He'll forgive and he'll restore if we just allow him to. And then finally, the observation is that Jesus equips you to do great things. And I think what happens on the day of Pentecost, we see, we see Simon become Peter. 
the rock. The Holy Spirit is outpoured. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, when you will, Jesus said, you will receive power after when, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, the, the Spirit of God was outpoured and just in a few moments, Peter stood up and this is exactly what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up. He took the lead. He went to the front of the line and he began to tell this what you're experiencing here is what the prophet Joel prophesied would happen. These guys are not drunk with wine as you suppose, but they have been filled with the Holy Spirit and boom, he began to preach and at the end of that message, 3,000 people said, I will follow Jesus. He was being obedient to the call of God on his life. There was a transformation that took place. He, equipped, he was equipped to do what he was called to do. Simon's a great personality. There's no way around it. No way around it. It's a great personality in Scripture. And maybe like me, you admire him. You can relate to him, which I certainly can in so many different ways. And what I want to do this morning, and this comes back to the guys in the room, to the dads in the room. And I'm going to start, I start with the guys because regardless if you're, if you're 10 this morning or if you're 100, I believe that what I have to share for these next five or so minutes will apply well, I'll say 10 or so minutes, 20 or so minutes, whatever it is, <laughs> will be helpful to us as we move through the next, next season of our life. So the first is this. And this is from, this is one, from one of Peter's letters. And, I, and I, I, as, I pre, as I was preparing this week, I just kept coming back to this. I'm thinking, Lord, what do you want to say? Because to me, there's something so significant about Kind of the, uh, this, let me say it this way, Peter's last words. There's something significant about someone's last words, and that's what the book of 2 Peter is. He would go to his, his death soon after he would write these words. And so the first thing that I, I, I draw from his life and what he leaves with the church is this. To the guys in the room, first, be real. Be real. Authenticity is not, is not just a buzzword. It is something that is so incredibly important about being a Christ follower, but also about being a man of God. Be real. Be authentic. Listen to what Peter, listen to what he writes. Simon Peter, this is the introduction to the book of 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And you say, okay, what is that all about? You know, he didn't have to use his given name, Simon, but he did. He never forgot from where he came. He never forgot that it was Jesus who, by his grace, gave him the name of the rock. He didn't have to say Simon Peter, but he did. You know, it's important for us, guys, to be real. Authenticity is of a, it's valuable beyond any amount of currency. Be who you are. Don't try and be someone you're not, someone God has not created you to be. 
but walk, live, act, breathe, speak, and be the person God has called you to be. Be real. Second, live dependent. Live dependent. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, is some of the favorite scriptures in, in all of the Bible for me. He's very clear. Look at what he writes. He says, his divine power, speaking of God, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through a knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now let me stop there. What part of everything don't we understand? Why do we look to other sources to find our strength and our dependence, our abilities? No, his divine power has given us everything we need. Then he goes on, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Then he gives this quality, add to your faith this, and then just add, 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 add. And then he continues, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You notice the word calling? To confirm your calling? What was his calling? Was it to be a fisherman or was it to be a fisher of men? He understood this from a personal level. He says, and look at this. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Stop. Could he put a parenthesis in there and say, you will never stumble like I did? Could he do that? He could have. And I don't think it's out of character to, to look at it that way. He understood what it was. The divine power of God will keep us from stumbling. Our dependence upon God will keep us, give us the ability and keep us being real. He goes on, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter was adamant that the strength to endure and and to thrive was in the power of God. When we add to it daily, he says we'll never stumble. We'll never stumble. Remember this. Something about Peter is very important to remember. Peter's confidence was also his greatest weakness. His confidence was his greatest weakness. And because here's the the reality, gentlemen. We like to be independent. And I'll just give you one classic example. Maybe not, man, that may still happen. We are really resistant to stopping and asking for directions. Now we've got GPS in our phones, and I get it. But it used to be, before we had all those modern conveniences, stop and ask her, no, I can do this. And then you find yourself driving around Cheyenne, Wyoming, about four times like I did. The same place. And Marcy and I can believe, boy, this looks familiar. Oh, that looks really just like we've we've done this before, haven't we? Would I stop and ask directions? Of course not. I can do this. And what's tragic is we think the same to be true about matters of life and faith. We can do this on our own. Gentlemen, look at me. You cannot, nor can I, do it on my own. I cannot navigate this life without being dependent upon God. I need him. And so do you. So do we. Thirdly, Commit to being biblical. Commit biblically. Commit biblically. Now, this is significant for me. As he unfolds this letter, he talks about a lot of things. The entire, literally, the entire chapter, second chapter, 
He's talking about false teachers and false prophets and, their, and what the characteristics of their life are. And so that's what he's going to talk about in chapter 2. So that's where he's going. But before he gets there, he, in just a very brief period of time, he outlines or gives us these verses. Look at them with me. Verse 19 and through 21 of chapter 1. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you'll do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, through human, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that important? Because he is drawing, he's drawing upon the power of God's Word. And so what I see very simply that I want to communicate to you, commit biblically. Be a biblical person. Adopt a biblical worldview. Adopt the scriptures as which is the foundation of your life. To the parents that we just prayed over a few moments ago, understand they are making a commitment biblically to their children. And I want to encourage every man in this room, commit biblically. Let the scriptures be your, what, what drives your life. And what allows you to walk life and to be the model and the example that you want to be. Number four, stay informed. Gentlemen, stay informed. Second Peter chapter 1, I just talked about these false prophets and teachers. Listen to what Peter says. But there will also be false prophets among you, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Why am, I, why am I saying this? There are so many competing voices for your life, for your wife, for your children, for your friends, for your neighbors. There are false teachings and false prophets out there in abundance. And it is our responsibility, it is my responsibility to be informed. And how do I do that? By committing to the scriptures, that I understand who, what it is that my life is founded upon so that I will not be tricked into the heresy and the difficulty that are around. And that is our responsibility, men. We need to take it upon ourselves and stay informed. Number five, to remain alert. To remain alert. As Peter continues in this letter, he then begins to talk about the coming of the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Cannot tell you how many times I came home as a little kid and my parents were gone. I didn't know they were gone until I came home and I was absolutely convinced. I'd go out to the garage, is the car there? Because if the car's not there, I'm okay. If the car's there, uh-oh, Jesus came and left me behind. I'm going to tell you something. When you're like 10 years old, that's terrifying. When you have learned your entire life that Jesus is going to come, and I'm still believing and still waiting, it's all good. I'm just telling you. Why do I say that in the context of men? Gentlemen, we need to be aware that the time is short. Jesus will come again, and it is our responsibility to take the lead, to be at the front of the line and remind those who are closest to us that Jesus is coming again. It is not someone else's responsibility. It's ours. It's ours. Number six, we need to model character. We need to model character. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 
says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now, there's a question. You have to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You know what is fascinating as I'm thinking about that? I said earlier that my dad was a wonderful dad. He wasn't perfect. I'm telling you, he wasn't perfect. But I'm going to... I have thought long and hard about this over the past three or four days as I've prepped for today. I cannot remember one thing my father ever did that would have been a blemish on his character. Not one thing. And I just hang my head and say, God, I want to be that. Was he perfect? No. But he, I believe he took God's word at value, at face value, and he applied it to his life, and he lived it out. My dad is as, uh, he's as, he's as human as the next guy was. That's not the issue. But he was able to apply the principles of God's word to his life and live a life of exemplary character. It can be done. And we're called to live holy and godly lives. Oswald Chambers makes this statement. He says, no man is born either naturally or supernaturally with character. He has to make character. I read that and I went, oh, how true. It's on my shoulders, but I have all the tools I need have been provided for me. And then finally, grow spiritually. 2 Peter 3.18 but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. That is probably my favorite verse in all of Scripture, is that one. Grow spiritually. I wonder if anybody knows, just out of curiosity, June, what June 21st, what June 21st, 2020 is. Besides being the anniversary of my oldest son and daughter-in-law, it's Father's Day 2020. Here's my challenge. That all of this was a Father's Day challenge. Here's my challenge. In a year from today, be able to look back and say, I have grown spiritually. I've grown. I'm a different person than I was 12 months ago. God knows, God knows your true potential, even if others don't believe it. Steps of faith will lead to miraculous moments. Failure is not final. It's not final. Remember, be real. Be dependent. Biblically. Commit biblically. Stay informed. Remain alert. Model character. Grow spiritually. And you look at all these things and you go, Gary, I can't, I, can't do, I can't do this. I can't do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Again and again and again, Scripture reminds us. These are things that can be done. And why can they be done? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything and empowers us to live a life that brings honor and glory to him at all times. And this last verse, one final thought. We've been reading it every week. Gentlemen and ladies, you have a wonderful future ahead of you. There is hope for you. Yet, Jesus, thank you for your word this morning.